Good morning, everyone. It would be good if you kept your Bibles open to that passage that Mandy just read for us. Thank you, Mandy, for reading it. Uh, This week is the final week of our sermon series called Finding Freedom. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking at what biblical freedom looks like. We have done it so that we may know how to live as free people. In this final sermon, we will be focusing on living as free people, having the freedom to serve one another. Last week, Steve explained that freedom is not about choices, but rather that freedom is found in relationship with God. It is about who we are in Jesus Christ. The freedom we have in Christ is what spurs us on to live a life of faith through love to serve one another. Now, you might have heard of the Christian life, the Christian walk, described as a pilgrimage, a religious journey with spiritual motivation. I wonder if anyone here in this room has actually gone on or knows of anybody who's gone on a pilgrimage Well, while I was preparing this sermon, I remembered that two of my aunts a number of years ago went on a pilgrimage. They decided to go on one of the most well-known pilgrimages a few years ago. They did the Camino Trail. Now, the Camino Trail is actually a series of trails that all um, lead to one point. That is Santiago in Spain. So there are options of where you start walking but they all lead to Santiago, where there is a church. And in this church is famously known for being the resting place of St. James. Now, my aunties, they did not do the pilgrimages, the pilgrimage for spiritual reasons. They did it because it sounded like a lot of fun. The interesting thing was that even though they set out as tourists, Along the way, they ended up feeling like they were pilgrims on a pilgrimage. So off they went on this pilgrimage. They walked for seven weeks. They walked for 750 kilometers on this pilgrimage. And as they did, they met other people along the way who were doing the same thing. And as I was uh, talking to them about these, this pilgrimage, they shared with me some of the reasons why people do a pilgrimage. Now, firstly, there's the obvious reason for religious or spiritual reasons. Others were on a journey of ultimate mindfulness, trying to clear their head. Still others were trying to achieve personal goals on their journey to physical health. And some were doing it for mental benefits, to unplug from their daily lives, to allow time for peace, for self-development, and to reconnect with nature. Interesting as well, the Camino Trail is also used as a form of punishment in the legal system. So judges hand out to people the punishment of walking the Camino Trail. But my personal favorite reason why people did the Camino Trail, why they would walk seven weeks over 750 kilometers, was to put it on their CV. Because a pilgrimage 
makes their resume look appealing. And as I listened to one of my aunties explain their experience of Camino Walk, I found it fascinating that a lot of the reasons people do the pilgrimage are similar reasons to what we find ourselves stumbling over in our Christian journey. The whole point of a pilgrimage is that the effort you put in reaps a reward. There is something to be gained from your efforts. And it was this type of thinking that what we contribute to our salvation is what Paul was arguing against as he wrote to the Galatians. The Galatians were being persuaded that their faith was based on what they could do to be right with God. And Paul's message is relevant to us today because we also have the potential to believe our salvation is based on what we do. So let me pray before we look at more detail at this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, fill us by your spirit and teach us by your word this morning. Give us the ability to understand and apply your word to our lives. Help us to use the freedom we have through your son, through love, to serve each other. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, at the very beginning of this chapter, at chapter 5, Paul begins with this verse. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is telling the Galatians not to submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is the slavery that they were in before they came to know God. Or rather, as Paul uses the phrase, before they came to be known by God. And let's just review. Read with me verses 2 to 6. It says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Submitting again to the yoke of slavery is seen in this passage as accepting circumcision as part of the requirement for their faith. And by doing so, they are accepting part of the law. But Paul says that if you accept any part of the law, you are obligated to keep the whole law. And by accepting any part of the law, verse 4 clearly states, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. The choice to accept part of the law 
means you are obligated to keep the whole law. You are then severed from Christ and have fallen away from grace. These Galatians, they had the freedom to choose the law or to the freedom to choose to be in a relationship with God, but they didn't have the freedom to choose both. Paul goes on in this passage to contrast these two views, these two choices they had, and he describes them as being the works of the flesh and the works or the fruit of the Spirit. And as we get to the start of our passage that was read this morning, verse 7, Paul says to the Galatians, you were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So there is a person or there's a group of people who are persuading the Galatian church of something that is not the truth. It's not from God. It is not from the one who called them. And here Paul uses an image of a runner who has been hindered, who has been cut off by someone in a race. Paul is enraged as an onlooker. He is furious. I believe you could call this righteous anger. Perhaps you've experienced righteous anger in your life. Your righteous anger might rear its head about the injustice that goes on, the injustice of what you are seeing happen right before your eyes. Now, we often tell children that during a race, it doesn't matter who wins or who loses. It's all about having fun. But when we see someone cut in front of someone we love, preventing them from succeeding at what they are trying to do, well, we all know that feeling. We've all had that feeling of righteous anger. And I believe there is few places in Paul's letter where he lets loose like he does in this passage, where we see his righteous anger. Paul is furious. Read with me, starting from verse 10. He says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now, Paul is confident that they will not be persuaded. He's confident, and he explains to them that anyone who adds to the gospel, will pay the penalty, whoever they are. And Paul says, I am being persecuted because I will not preach circumcision. I will not add circumcision to the gospel. He's being persecuted because he understands that if he accepts circumcision as part of his freedom, then he himself is obliged to keep the whole law. He will not be severed from Christ. He will not let any part of the law affect his relationship with God. 
And he is very clear on this point. Read with me verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so he is confident that they will not add to the gospel. And he says that anyone who persuades them otherwise will come under judgment. Paul is so furious by those who persuade them otherwise that in verse 12 he says that those people, those people persuading them of something that is not from God, those who trouble you, I wish that they would cut off their private parts. Not just cut off the little tip as in circumcision, but cut the whole thing off. I wish they would emasculate themselves, he says. Now, I don't think I can do any more to explain just how angry Paul is. We need to hear his anger and to let it sit with us for a little while. We need to take what he is saying very seriously. And in verse 9, in fact... It helps us. It illustrates how careful we must be. Verse 9 says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. As a little pinch of yeast infiltrates into the entire batch of dough, so with the effect of adding works to the gospel, to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to sever us from Christ, to affect our relationship with God and cause us to fall away from grace. The smallest amount of self-made faith can infiltrate our church with devastating consequences. And so if our life, our pilgrimage, is founded on our efforts, our desires to reap a reward, our desires and pursuits of pleasures that just lead to nothing. They never deliver what they promise. Our efforts will amount to nothing in our relationship with God. Us at our best is not enough. Us doing everything right is not enough. Us obeying every law is still not enough the only outcome will be to cause our brothers and sisters around us to try and do the same. And they will cause their brothers and sisters around them to try and do the same. And so on and so on and so on. And Paul, he reiterates this point in verses 13 and 15. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Why don't we use it as an opportunity for the flesh? He says so in verse 15 where he says, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If we use the opportunities of the flesh, all that will happen is that we will be consumed. The effect of this type of life and spiritual pilgrimage has continual devastating effects. But by way of contrast, Paul identifies what freedom in Christ looks like. First of all, freedom in Christ is directed by love. It's in service to others, 
and is a life which walks in the Spirit. I'm going to repeat that. Freedom in Christ is directed by love. It's in service to others and is a life walking by the Spirit. And these are all in opposition to the life of flesh, the life we once lived. Now, just briefly on Paul's use of the phrase, the flesh, he explains this in more detail, what the works of the flesh are in verses 19 and 20. I'm not going to go through these uh, a lot, but I would love to read these two verses, verses 19 and 20. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Do you notice that he finishes, after saying 15 works of the flesh, he finishes with that phrase, and things like these. Pointing out that this list could go on and on and on. In other words, there may not be an end to the list of the works of the flesh. And here in Galatians, we could actually change this phrase, the works of the flesh, with our sinful nature. Last week in 1 Peter 2, verse 16, we saw a similar warning. Peter tells us to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And the picture we draw here from the Galatian church is sad because the Galatians are on the cusp of letting their freedom become a launching pad for the opportunities of the flesh. They are considering their freedom to justify the works of the flesh. And we too would do well to consider the picture of our church the picture of our church may also be a sad one. How close are we to letting our freedom become a launching pad for the opportunities of the flesh? And so Paul says we are called to a life of freedom that is directed by love in service to others that is walking in the spirit, and these are all in opposition to the life of flesh in opposition to our sinful nature and desires. So let's consider these three things and what they might look like for us to draw out ways in which we can apply them to our lives. First of all, we live a life of freedom that is directed by love. Read with me, starting at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Paul is not talking about love as a passion, but love as a demonstration of the spirit. In order to be directed by love, we need to first accept God's love for us in Christ. It is God's love that enables us to be filled with the Spirit, which then generates in us the fruit of love as we relate to others. 
Paul explains that we are to live a life of freedom that is directed by love because Jesus commanded us to do so. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And Paul in this passage says that loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills the whole law. So the big question I have for you this morning is that what works of the flesh are preventing you from loving those around you? What is the one thing that you are holding on to that is enslaving you from loving your neighbor? What is causing dissension, divisions, envy? When you think about the relationships that you have with people within the church, what is preventing you from loving the person who is sitting right in front of you, that's sitting right beside you, that's sitting right behind you? Or perhaps even someone that you haven't seen for months, but you've heard rumors about. What is the leaven that leavens the whole lump? What is it that you have allowed to infiltrate your thinking about your church family that prevents you from living a life that is directed by love? Now, I always find it useful to think about what's important to me. Maybe you should consider doing the same. Think about things that you are most stubborn about, the things that you are not willing to let go of. In Christ Jesus, none of these things count for anything, only faith working through love, enabling you to love your neighbor as yourself. Are you willing to give up the works of the flesh to be able to love one another? Because the warning here from Paul is really strong. If you're not willing to give these things up, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Indulging in sinful nature fosters internal dissension in the body of Christ. And so with love, so too with service. Secondly, a life of freedom is in service to others. Now, if you're wondering what service to others might look like as a Christian, I would encourage you to read chapter 6. Paul explains that service to other is bearing one another's burden. It's sharing all good things with one another and doing good to all people, but particularly doing good to those who belong in the family of believers. Think about that for a moment. A life of service to others is unlikely to be easy. A life of freedom in service to others is hard work. And next Sunday, we gather together as a church, as one body at the Tops Conference Center. We do so to share the vision of our church. And the vision of our church is to glorify God by making disciples who grow in love for Jesus, serve the church, Share Christ with the lost by listening to God through his word, by his spirit, depending on God in prayer. 
Now, I would suggest that there is little that would prevent you from coming next Sunday. And what a better opportunity to consider what service to one another means for you and how through love you can serve one another. The freedom you have in Christ Jesus is the freedom to serve one another. And next Sunday is the perfect opportunity for you to consider how this might look for you in the year ahead. If you have not signed up for President at Times, please do so. You need to today so we can tell them how many uh, people are coming tomorrow. Thirdly and finally, a life of freedom is walking in the Spirit. Read with me verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. After Paul gives us this extensive list of what it means, that what works of the flesh are, he tells us what a life walking in the Spirit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit, read with me in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When we feel as though life is just too tough and all is lost and our sinful nature takes hold, Paul encourages us by reminding us that we are not alone. We do not walk alone. Our freedom is a life of walking in the Spirit. God has sent his Spirit to live within us so that those of us who belong to Jesus Christ can be confident that that we can be confident that our flesh with its passions and desires have been crucified with him. We can be confident that the benefit of the Spirit within us is God at work helping us to do what we are unable to do ourselves. And as we walk in step with the Spirit, God aligns our lives with his will in order that he might be glorified. And so not only do we enjoy fellowship with him, but with also those who know and love him. This is his promise to us as we walk in the Spirit. And so our pilgrimage is not one that we walk alone. It is not based on our efforts to reap some kind of spiritual reward. Our pilgrimage is in step with the Spirit, shoulder to shoulder in love, serving each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all glory and praise. Help us to be disciples who grow in love for you and your son, Jesus, who serve the church, who share Christ with the lost. Help us to do this through listening to you through your word, by your spirit, and help us to depend on you in prayer. In your glorious name we pray, amen.